Welcome to Pigskins and Pageantry, a podcast dedicated to all things SEC football. My name is Wes, and I'd like to invite you to join me, Jesse, and Matt each week as we discuss last week's games, news from around the league, make predictions for the upcoming games, and much, much more. Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of Pigskins and Pageantry. So far... There have been some big games, but we are on the cusp of what might be the biggest game of the year so far in the SEC, maybe even the entirety of college football. I don't know. Uh, But before we get there, because I know we're excited to get there, uh, some introductions are in order. Jesse's going to introduce our special guest. But first, Jesse, how are you? Uh, My heart palpitations started on Saturday. They have not stopped, and I don't anticipate they will until maybe Sunday. Uh, so your thoughts and prayers, T's and P's are much appreciated because your girl is unwell, uh, but we don't have to stick on my uh, emotional well-being, nor the fact that I allow, you know, these random men in Alabama that throw a football to affect my emotional stability so much. We won't stay on that. Uh, you guys are probably wondering why Matt looks so different. Um, now Matt. If you're watching on video. Yeah, if you're watching on video. Um, <laughs> if you're not, you don't know. Uh, but for those that are watching, we actually have a very special guest that I'm so thrilled to have on the show. He offers a very interesting perspective to everything we're going to talk about, as well as him being the first Kentucky fan. And not just a fan, but a former player at Kentucky. We are so excited to have Claude Segal, a former defensive back for the University of Kentucky from 2000 to 2005. Join us, Claude. Welcome. Well, definitely. Thank you for the invite. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Um, talk about SEC football. Uh, I think I have a little, a little understanding of of the game, um, being a former player back in the early 2000s. So if you do the math, I'm an old man, but I'm highly aware of the game. And so uh, just, just to give you a quick quick ba- uh, background, um, I played for Coach Mummy, Coach Morris, and Coach Brooks do- during my time. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois. Um, I'm currently a sales rep for Centile First Aid and Safety. On the side, I have been officiating high school football for 14 years. Um, that's a passion of mine. Um, uh, I started out my career working with the SEC officiating, um, and then they asked me to get more experience, and um, I joined the SAA, which is a Division Two, Division, Division Two, Division Three um, conference. Uh, the SAA. I did that for four years, uh, and I realized uh, I needed more time at home with my family and so forth. So I let that go. But uh, it's been a great ride. I enjoy everything, and I'm just happy to be here with you guys. I'm so excited to ask you officiating questions. Uh, And (laughs) I think everyone's probably really excited to actually hear from someone who has done that, because as fans, we are often relentless and Mm -hmm. don't always know what is happening behind the scenes, the directions that the officials have been given. So I think that is such an exciting perspective for us to get on the show. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I plan to share information with you, but there are top secret information that you guys are not <laughs> going to get. So I have to, I have to balance yeah. out the, the uh, ball game here. I have to, I have to say truth to my brotherhood, but 
I'm here to give you as much information as possible. So already we're finding out things. There are sworn secrets in the uh, in the uh, refereeing community. The that's fraternal awesome. order of the officiate. <laughs> I'm excited. That's awesome. Well, uh, hey, I, I prefer uh, the term uh, seasoned with wisdom to old, Claude. So that's that's what it is. So, Absolutely. You know. um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about some of the games from last weekend. Always remember, if you ain't first, you're last. All right. Well, uh, the first game from last week that we had was uh, Tennessee at LSU. Uh, Tennessee just blowing out LSU 40 to 13. Didn't see that coming. Matt uh, got the point in this one. Um, look, I, I think the tone of this one was set when LSU fumbled on the kickoff. <laughs> uh, LSU's offense continues to struggle while Tennessee's continues to soar. Uh, I was, like I said, shocked by this one. I'm still not sure whether or not Tennessee is, is Tennessee this good or is LSU this bad? Uh, it was a wild game to start the day. Uh, and uh, LSU fans have got to be pretty ticked off about getting dominated in Death Valley. Uh, but Jesse, I want to kick it to you for some key takeaways for this game. Yeah, I think I, I definitely want to start with Tennessee. We'll start on a, on a high note, uh, <laughs> because LSU there's, there's not a lot of high notes here, but at least for Tennessee, let's, let's get the egos out of the way. They committed a lot of penalties. Uh, penalties. That's the first thing that I think is a takeaway here. 12 penalties for 107 yards. They entered the game among the most penalized teams who gave up, you know, among the most penalty yards per game in the nation. Not a great statistic to be uh, high up in. Uh, luckily, you know, for Tennessee, LSU had its own issues with penalties. They committed nine surrendering, surrendering 81 yards. Again, we've talked about it a lot on the show. And as an Alabama fan, I certainly feel their pain, but you can't get a lot of penalties because you're giving the, you know, the other team, so much more than, than what they would normally have. It's giving them an advantage. And, and that's something that's completely within your control for the most part. Uh, I do want to highlight that the run game for Tennessee was dominant in this game. I think that's something that, you know, I'm definitely looking at this week, but uh, small was a star in this game, carrying the ball 22 times for 127 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, LSU playing tons of press man coverage, focusing on, you know, trying to shut down the pass from the outside and, uh, and Hypo really pushed the, ru the rushing attack. He was able to outsmart them a little bit on offense, which as a Vols fan, you have to be encouraged that they were uh, able to adapt to that. So, you know, I think Tennessee did have some poor pass coverage, um, on the other end of the ball. And, you know, despite that their defense never folded. Um, for an LSU team that we think, you know, is on the rise. And uh, they had a fast start in controlling the momentum. Uh, as you said, LSU fumbling very early on, the earliest on. Uh, and it's it's hard to, to get back from that, but Tennessee definitely kept up the momentum. So uh, those are my takeaways. I don't know if you guys noticed the same thing um, or, or had some different ones there. Well, um, yeah, I just really wanted to get your thoughts, Claude. I, one thing that I heard the announcers saying was that uh, Jaden Daniels, as they're seeing him have a uh, analysis paralysis is the way they said it. Like he's trying too hard to just make the perfect pass and he's like guiding the ball in there. He's not throwing the ball. I don't know. What, what are you seeing? Absolutely. I think that he's back to thinking way too much. Uh, he's trying not to make a mistake. Uh, I think the pressure of – uh, being at LSU versus Arizona State, um, 
you have 90 plus thousand people looking at you versus Arizona State being in um, being in the Pac-12, uh, there's not much excitement. That's that's a different beast being here in SEC. But overall, I hope I can say this. I, I think LSU is a fraud. Um, I think their victories were by luck. Um, wow. I think I think I think uh, Coach Kelly has several years. Uh, I think right now he had no choice but to put Daniels in. There was no competition. Um, they had a a quarterback transfer right before uh, the uh, start of, of the season. So he, he was shorthanded. Um, I don't see them going any, any higher to the ceiling. Uh, I feel like they are who they are, uh, just a mediocre team, just trying to find their own um, identity. Uh, whereas Tennessee, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you, Tennessee, here in Kentucky, we want nothing to do with Tennessee, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be honest with you, being on the outside and, and not playing anymore, I would definitely jump on the Tennessee bandwagon. They are a very balanced team, offense on, and as well as defense. Um, you know, the term don't break, I mean, uh, bend, but don't, don't break. I think that's a, a good way to define their defense. They will give up a lot of yards, but at the same time, they find a way to stop the opposing offense, uh, set up for three or set up for, for, for um, a punt. But I think uh, Tennessee is is for real. Um, I am on the bandwagon until somebody tells me to get off. So, Yeah, I think you point out a good, you know, analogy there with Ben don't break. That seems to be what Tennessee is doing. But LSU really seems to be the opposite. I think their defense got exhausted. It was like they were completely gassed by the end of the game. Uh, their special teams did not do them any favors. And despite the fact that Tennessee had a lot of penalties, it doesn't look like LSU capitalized on any of them. Uh, and I don't know, but based on what I'm hearing from LSU fans, they feel like Brian Kelly only has like two years at LSU. They don't see him as a long-term solution, uh, which is is not great for the program. We saw it with, you know, coach O only being there a couple of years. And then when you have that coaching turnover, you start to see the transfer portal, you know, get really hot for those players and people trying to find a, a better fit for them. So LSU, I, I love your hot take. I think LSU might be at uh, the point in their program where Tennessee was a couple of years ago. Absolutely. There you, there you heard it, at least maybe temporarily, uh, LSU may find themselves in a, as a cellar dweller in the SEC, <laughs> at least temporarily. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, um, all right, let's go ahead and go to uh, the second game of the day, and that was Arkansas at Mississippi State. Uh, Mississippi State winning this one 40 to 17. Another oh, shock. <laughs> I mean, Sure, you you picked you picked Mississippi State, but my gosh, uh, the the outcome or the the margin by which they won just unbelievable. Um, so not making excuses for Arkansas, but uh, KJ Jefferson uh, unable to play in this game. We know he's a game changer out there. Uh, he was out with uh, what I believe has been referred to as a concussion, although I think they weren't really saying that very clearly, at least for a little while. Uh, Malik Hornsby got the start and the offense just wasn't quite the same uh, on the flip side. Will Rogers and Mississippi state offense just on fire. Uh, Rogers going 31 uh, for 48 with 395 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Mississippi state improves 
to five and one on the season. Jesse, what are your uh, takeaways for Arkansas at Mississippi State? Yeah, I've got three takeaways just of the game overall. Will Rogers, y'all, efficient. This man, uh, he has folded in perfectly to the Mike Leach air raid system. Uh, he had his lowest completion percentage in a victory this season, which was 31 of 48. So 64.6% <laughs> is lowest. Uh, he guided the offense perfectly. He was a good game manager in the game. He actually set an SEC record for career completions. He passed for 395 yards and three touchdowns with zero interceptions. He connected with 11 receivers and it was his third consecutive game without an interception after he threw one in each of the first three games. Y'all, this man is on fire. And he is, I think, exactly the kind of quarterback that Mike Leach is looking for and succeeds with. So if you're not following Will Rogers, you should be. And I think looking at his play and the fact that he connected with so many people, we're seeing a Mississippi State offense that is now much more balanced than what we were seeing previously. Um, it used to be somewhat of like a feast or famine. Now I think they're getting into a rhythm. They're looking really good. They're looking really balanced. Um, their defense and special teams, a little bit of a mixed bag, but we all can't be perfect. So that's okay. Uh, defense only gave up, you know, 17 points. So bottom line, they're just fine. But uh, they did come up with two interceptions and uh, it, you know, it, or sorry. Uh, yeah, two interceptions. Yeah. So a little bit of a mixed bag there. But uh, overall, I'm really impressed with Mississippi State. I think Arkansas was hindered by the fact they didn't have KJ Jefferson, but you can't rely on one player to to completely make your team successful. So, uh, Claude, I would be very interested to hear your perspective on what happens to teams or how you prepare for a team knowing that their starting quarterback is, is not going to be there. Well, as the, um, at the, as the opposing team, you basically prepare for any quarterback. Uh, you, you go in uh, the day after the previous game, you go in Sunday, you prepare it as, as, as a normal game. You have all your uh, first string quarterback, running backs. We, we don't care who you have behind center. Um, but it, it's, it's no difference, uh, when it's game time, um, uh, with the defense, we have the same, uh, process, same blitz. Um, it's just a different quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is unfortunate that, um, Arkansas lost their starting quarterback, but like you said, I agree. That is not an excuse of their performance. Um, it's unfortunate the last three weeks has been really tough on them, um, playing Texas A&M and that heartbreaker. Uh, but at the same time, you can't look backwards, and now they have B BYU. Um, they had high hopes going in into the season. I believe watching the uh, SEC Network, uh, they had them uh, going 11 and one. Uh, at that moment, I thought that was insane. Looking at the schedule, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm 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 not the expert. I'm just a guy on the other side of the TV. But uh, I hope they do pick it up. Um, but that performance against Mississippi State, uh, like you said, Rodgers was on fire. Um, he has shown so much composure, so much growth uh, under leash offense over the years. Um, and, and shortly, we're, we're going to be talking about them going up against Kentucky. I have some words about that. but um, And I'm shocked that he's not 
a Heisman candidate. I, I don't know if he needs to gain four or five more inches by the end, end, end of the season. I don't understand what these writers are looking for when it comes to Heisman candidates. Maybe the loss to LSU um, bit him, but he is a stud. Um, I, I feel like he is only going to get better on the leash. And uh, I hope, I hope, uh, I can say right now, I hope Kentucky shuts him down. So we'll see what happens. Well, that's a, that's a fun point about uh, Leach's offense. And we ourselves were wondering, especially when Leach first came into the SEC is would that air raid offense work in the SEC? And I don't know, what do you think? Just, just watching the offense, uh, obviously it has worked and it is working to a certain extent, but do you think it's here to stay? Well, it does his scheme. Can it work in the SEC long-term? Absolutely. It definitely can stay as long as you can have a balanced defense on the other end. Um, it's, it's working for Mississippi State. It's working for Tennessee. Um, I think uh, Coach Saban, ha- Saban has actually adopted uh, into the uh, air raid as well. Uh, Kentucky at one point in time was air raid. I think Kentucky was the first team to bring that air raid with Coach Mummy uh, back in the early two, 2000s with Coach uh, with, um Tim, Tim Couch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is definitely the new way of offense. And I think that is going to attract a lot of kids to come to play in the SEC um, versus going out West, uh, USC, um, Oregon, uh, Utah, where it's a wide open offense out there in the West. I think it's very attractive. Like I said, to young kids, um, it's exciting for us viewers seeing the ball get swing around left and right. Um, you know, but of course you want to have that power O, that power uh, running back, but it does not hurt to see a quarterback throw for three, four, or five hundred dollars on an given side. When I think another thing, yards. yeah, well, I think another thing that we're seeing is uh, uh, running backs who want to go there who can not only run the ball, but can catch the ball of the backfield as well. And so I think that's attractive to them is, you know, they, they can run the ball and they can also be a part of that air raid offense as well. So that's attractive to running backs as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Air raid also, I think, you know, the more you watch NFL and look at quarterbacks that throw these long passes, someone like a, you know, Aaron Rodgers or, um, you know, Derek Carr, any of these, these guys, they are successful, uh, mainly in passing. You have your running backs, of course, but, uh, who didn't love watching, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams connect. And it sets you up, I think, really well for the NFL. Sorry, Devontae Adams for a lot of people is a very sensitive subject right now. Uh, <laughs> right. You hate to see it. Packers, not a fan. Not a fan, but now with the Raiders. And uh, he just got tagged with an assault charge. I was going to say, there's there's uh, some legal things to watch in terms of uh, that. Uh, yeah. It's now. an unfortunate situation for him, but uh, yeah, I, I get being in the heat of the moment, but look, that's, that's unacceptable. And now he has to face uh, the penalties that comes with it. So yeah, right. I don't get to push people at my job. Well, while we're here on the subject, I think it is important to establish that you, you can't, you, you can't do that. <laughs> Nobody's above, you know, that. Um, so I think that they need to, uh, definitely do something about that. Anyway, um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to Missouri at Florida. Florida winning this one, 24 to 17. I got the point in this one. And uh, <laughs> Florida manages to get a win here despite only 297 total yards to Mizzou's 370. 
Richardson only had 66 passing yards uh, and 45 rushing yards in this one. Uh, defense really helped him out in large part by two picks by Jaden Hill, uh, including a pick six. So anytime the defense scores when your offense is struggling, uh, of course, in this one, it was, you know, the difference in the game. So uh, this ends a six game losing streak within the conference by Florida. So, uh, Jesse, what are your what are your thoughts? What are your takeaways for Missouri at Florida? My takeaways are Richardson didn't change the game at all. Um, Johnson and ATN carved out the Tigers run defense. Uh, not that there's a huge run defense at Missouri. Not that there's a lot at Missouri. I'm sorry. I'm going to say it. Whatever. Uh, right. Without Hill, like you mentioned, the Gators, I don't think win this game. I think he was a huge difference maker in this game. And without him, we're potentially looking at a, at a Florida loss. Uh, he was able to get, you know, two turnovers, one, like you said, pick six there, but, uh, they were both resulting in, in points and, um, they, they needed that. And then my, my last one is Florida continues to struggle on third down. This is not a third down efficient team. Uh, they only converted, uh, three times, three of 11 on third down. And you, you can't do that. Their down conversion is potentially one of the most pinnacle moments um, and they're 27 of 68 overall on third downs offensively this season. And, uh, that ain't great. So Florida, you're going to have to do better. Um, I don't know if you guys are as concerned about Florida as I am because we all know Missouri is just trash. So <laughs> I think that's fair. Now, uh, uh, Claude, what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Um, Unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to have to put Florida in the same bucket with LSU. Fraud. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm, I'm trying to be objective and, and straightforward. I just don't know if Florida is the Florida of the past. Uh, we had, they had high hopes with Richardson after week one. Um, after week one, it basically illustrates how the sports and the media – all fall in love with one game. Uh, sometimes you got to take a step back. Um, and unfortunately, him, Richardson, stepped back further after week one. Um, what was expected from Florida is not there. I, I don't know if it's going to be there at the uh, remainder of the season. Um, the past game was very ugly, ugly to watch. Um, Missouri, they, they continue to let Missouri stay in the game. Interception, uh, false starts. 66 yards passing is not going to do it. Uh, 40 some yards rushing is not going to do it. I'm sorry. And you're at home in front of your fans. It's pretty much embarrassing. I don't know what Florida expectations are moving forward, but they need to bring it down just a couple of knots. Uh, but Missouri, look, Missouri is that brother you love, but you just just want to give him a hug. Uh, you know. After losing to Auburn, they should have got, gotten that game. Um, yep. After losing to Georgia, come on, you should have had that game. And now you go into the swamp, you should have had that game. Um, I just want to give Missouri fans, Missouri program, a big hug and just say, you you are trying. Uh, that's That should be the slogan for Missouri. Good try. <laughs> you trying. are trying. Are there but, still Missouri uh, fans? Does anyone still claim, like, are you out there? Are you okay? Yeah, <laughs> they they were out at the uh, at the Georgia game because that was they were loud in that one because they absolutely. thought they might win it. <laughs> wow, they were, they yeah. absolutely were. I, Missouri, it's like that uncle that like 
he's in the family, he's blood, you know, and you don't want to admit it and you don't want to invite him to the barbecue, but somehow he hears about it and he just shows up and you're just like, okay, you're like I have to talk to him. That's Missouri. Yeah. The SEC. Yeah. And, 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 and that uncle who shows up, you have to talk to him and he has a Tupperware and he takes his food and leaves. So <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> absolutely. He might ask you for money. It gets, it gets exactly. really fast. So, uh, Claude, our, our opinions on uh, Coach Drinkwitz are well documented on this, and we're none of us are really a fan. Uh, do you think, I mean, is this just expectation for Mizzou? Are they satisfied with the job that he's doing, or do you think that, like, he's on his way out? He's, he's young. He's up and coming. Uh, he did a great job on the previous job. Uh, I just think that he just needs the, the right puzzles to fit. Uh, right now he's dealing with uh, the previous coaches, recruitment. He hasn't had his full recruitment uh, opportunity yet. Uh, I've, I've always said new coaches need at least three years to get his guys. Um, Florida just needs to take a step back, relax, uh, just just accept a six and six season, uh, maybe at best seven, seven and five. Uh, I know losing to Kentucky is, is hard and um, they are not used to that. Uh, I believe uh, Florida had a 37 straight game winning streak against Kentucky, but they really need to take a step back and just give the man some time. Uh, most likely three years. If nothing happens after three years, then you want to reevaluate the situation. Was he the correct hire uh, to get you guys back to the uh, SEC championships and potential BCS? Gotcha. Okay. That's uh, that's good stuff. Um all right, let's uh, let's go ahead and move to Auburn at Georgia. Uh, Georgia winning this one, forty-two to ten. Uh, Matt getting the point in this one. Um, <clears throat> look, this one, this one had kind of a slow build to it. Uh, Georgia was leading fourteen zero at half, and in my mind, was, I was like, "Well, I feel pretty good about it. It doesn't feel like we're losing in the different aspects of the game, but the scoreboard doesn't really reflect that." Um, but it seemed like the battle in the trenches was slowly being won by Georgia, uh, and that started to kind of tilt the field uh, in our favor. Uh, eventually, uh, we were able to get yards and large chunks on plays late, later in the game and really just kind of take control of, of the game. Um, it helps that Auburn has a young quarterback in Robbie Ashford, and so their offense really right now doesn't have a lot of identity, to be honest, uh, just when I was watching uh Stetson will probably want to have some of those uh deep throws back that he missed but um he's going to be watching that 64 yard touchdown run over and over again on the in the uh, film room so uh, hopefully that'll help him forget that but uh Jesse what are your what are your takeaways for Auburn at Georgia yeah UGA this weekend looked much better in the red zone uh than they did against Mizzou which I think Mizzou was a kick in the pants for them they they needed that there was a lot of hype around Georgia and and they needed some comeback to earth come to Jesus meeting and Mizzou provided that. So at Auburn looked a lot better in the red zone. I still agree with you. I think they need to boost their passing offense. It, it wasn't great on Saturday against a, an Auburn team that is uh, the worst. And <laughs> Auburn is abysmal on third and long. They can join Florida in, uh, in their ability to, to work on third down. However, I will say, Robbie Ashford ended a 13 year drought. Ashford became the first Auburn quarterback to throw a touchdown pass at Sanford stadium. Since Chris Todd threw a 31 yard touchdown to Terrell Zachary in the first quarter of Auburn's 31 to 24 loss to Georgia in 2009. So little, little silver lining there for you, tigers. 
that's all I got for you. I have nothing else positive. And I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna nitpick right there because uh, honestly, the only reason that touchdown was scored is because we didn't wrap up. It was that was <laughs> the, the worst. Something. <laughs> something. It was the worst. Anyway, Claude, what you got for Auburn at Georgia? Yeah, um, like 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 you said, Wes, they uh they they only scored 14 points in the first half. Uh, went went into halftime 14 nothing. But at the same time, if you look at the top four teams, uh in the country. Uh, I believe um, Alabama went into halftime 17-14, I believe. Um, Michigan uh, went into halftime with uh, Indiana Uh, Mm 10-10. And then you had uh, Ohio State struggled struggled a little bit. Uh, The lead uh, Heisman candidate threw a a pick six. Um, I I don't put too much emphasis in the first half. It's how you come out in the second half, you know. Um, Slow slow starts happen. It, it, It happened to all four top teams in in the country. Um, I still feel like Georgia is the most dominated team. Um, I think the issue with Georgia is that they see their opponent on the other end. Uh, I don't really have to put too much effort today, but once they start getting kicked in the face a little bit, they're like, okay, let's uh, pick it up. And I think uh, Coach Mark got, got him right in the locker room, and that's back-to-back games. Uh, slow start the previous week, uh, slow start last week. Um, and I'm not looking for a slow start this this upcoming Saturday, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, they have Bandy come, coming in town. So if they're not up by 28 by halftime, I'm not concerned. I'm just saying Georgia is that good to where they can just show up and just, you know, have a little cookout in the first half and step it up in the second half. But overall, Auburn, um, Auburn is struggling. Um, I feel bad for Auburn fans. You have Alabama, who's right down the street, who continue to uh, exceed. Um, Coach Staben said last season was um, um, how, how did he go? He said it, it was uh, it was a bunch a bunch of young guys, uh, very unexperienced, and but yet he feels like he has the most experienced team this year. But that doesn't translate onto the field. And Auburn being right down the street, they're not getting the same recruits. And so, as Jesse said, um, I don't know how long Auburn has patience for their coach. Uh, We know as a fact that, you know, um, if you're not performing at Auburn, they are quick to uh, cut you out and uh, look for the next coach. So, um, it wasn't the prettiest game, but Georgia is not about pretty. It's about uh, getting the W and uh, getting that second back-to-back national championship. Hey, that, here's hoping, right? <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, let's uh, let's move to uh, Ole Miss at uh, Vanderbilt. Um, Ole Miss winning this one, 52 to 28. Matt getting the point in this one. Um, o- Ole Miss actually trailed the halftime. You're talking about that first half uh, start called uh, for the first time this season. Uh, they trailed at half, score being 20 to 17 Vanderbilt. And uh, I know, uh, Jesse, uh, you, me, and Matt were kind of texting each other or wondering what was going on, right? Like, But they uh, they did kick it into high gear in the second half and took care of business, as you can tell by the score, as they should have. So what are your takeaways, Jesse? Yeah, first one, Dart is good. Uh, I think we saw that. He's still developing, though. You're starting to see some of that potential, like we saw in Matt Corral, 
Uh, if you remember early Matt Corral was not very great uh, and he picked up some, some speed and stardom. So I think we're starting to see that with Jackson dart. He's very good completed 25 of 32 passes for 448 yards, three touchdowns and two interceptions on Saturday. So I think you're seeing those interceptions based on some decision-making issues. Even Lane Kiffin pointed it out saying that he did a really good job. He makes good plays, uh, but he also made two really bad ones. And, uh, you know, he's got to get more comfortable. So again, lots of potential there. We're starting to see it, but still some development that needs to happen. And I absolutely think he has the right coach to do that. Uh, Ole Miss secondary struggling. Uh, they, they continue to struggle. Kiffin wasn't happy with it either. either. Uh, they didn't tackle very well. And he noted that in his post-game press conference, uh, really poor tackling. And uh, that's, that's not something you can have, you know, Wes, you mentioned it with Georgia, not wrapping up on tackles. We see it at Alabama. I've been yelling it at the TV constantly, but it just seems like for some reason, the defenses this year, I I don't know. They just want to make shoestring tackles or or not really hit somebody hard. I don't know if we're seeing issues coming from make sure you don't get targeting or or make sure that you're not going to rough the passer. I don't know what it is, but you got to do better. And then I think we're seeing that Ole Miss can win in shootouts. Like you said, trailing uh, at first and then really come out and get explosive. And they've done that in several games where you turn on the first quarter or even turn on as they go into halftime. They don't look great. The score looks weird. And then all of a sudden they just explode. Now, that's a very dangerous way to play in the SEC. However, they seem to be doing it successfully, but their luck may run out. So I, I caution Ole Miss. Yeah. Uh, Claude, what are your thoughts on um, Lane Kiffin and his ability to develop a quarterback? I think, I think, I think he's definitely doing, doing a great job. Um, he lost, he lost a first round pick quarterback last year who was slinging the ball as well. Um, and now he has dark right there who transferred from U- USC. So he is familiar with spreading the offense uh, around. Um, but like Jess said, uh, caution. Ole Miss need to be very cautious because somebody is going to catch him slipping. There's way too many mistakes on offense. Uh, he has the tendency to rush the ball. Um, as we saw versus Kentucky, uh, he does not read the defense quite that well, but he does the job done. Um, overall, uh, Kevin has done a great job with him. He's done a great job in the transfer portal, um, getting some older guys, getting with more experience. Uh, but, but like Jesse said, I, it, you actually stole the, the exact word out of my mouth. Be very cautious with Ole Miss. I would not put the house on it, uh, but I would I would put put a, a, a slight attention to Ole Miss. But I think somebody's going to catch him down the road. Who don't know, but. Uh, they are a very vulnerable team. Uh, when it comes to Vandy, Vandy is on the uprise. Uh, I'm saying that because I like Vandy. I feel I feel I feel bad for Vandy. You know, they they play in a big city of Nashville. Not too many come people come out there to watch them. But you know what? They play with heart. Uh, I think uh, Coach had them playing every snap. They play well together. They look like they have an excellent chemistry together. Um, the uh, first two or three games that they won, um, I actually stayed up until one o'clock in the morning watching the Hawaii versus Vandy. Look, mm-hmm. I, 
I wanted to get my first football this season, and here we yep. go. That's Bandy it. versus Hawaii, 1 o'clock in the morning. They look great. Uh, but once you put them in the SEC, uh, reality kicks in a little bit. But I'm hoping for for the best. They have um, they have definitely they definitely have the parts to win a SEC game. So we'll see. I love yeah. that. It was so encouraging. They have heart. I love that. That was much more encouraging and um, <laughs> better than what we typically say. I do want to ask you though. We mentioned <clears throat> tackling and, and the issues we're seeing with tackling. What are you seeing as someone who has made tackles? Uh, and is there a difference in the way that we're playing? Is there a um, hesitancy because of all of the new rules and the way in which we're trying to protect players? Or do you think it's just sloppy football at the end of the day? I think I think it's a mix of uh, everything. Uh, sloppy, uh, the change of the rule, um, and, and actually doing practice. Um, I would say when, when I played, we hit. We hit Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and we did not hit on Friday. I think now doing practice, it's, it's a lot of two-hand touch. Um, mm-hmm. I know they're, they're, they're trying to protect the players. Um, I noticed the, that players don't wear um, knee pads or thigh pads in practice. They just wear these spindex. I, I don't know where that came from. So um, I have some inside scoop on Kentucky that they, they, they don't tackle. Kentucky they they bear hug and then and then they, they uh let go sometimes that can translate into Saturday um you you one time to actually tackle here he comes my chance and then you've never seen this move before he 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 jukes you out, out of your pants and next you know you're, you're reaching it becomes sloppy mm-hmm. um I think the the world change as well um you can't be as aggressive as you want to be anymore uh, I think uh, defensive players are being more, more cautious. They don't want to get thrown out. They don't want that 15-yard penalty before lowering your shoulders. What do you want us to do? But the game is definitely changing. Um, it's definitely sloppy, but I think it starts with practice. Uh, the the, the, the two-hand touch, it's not what it used to be. Uh, but I, I truly understand if a player does go down during the week and he can't play on Saturday, that's that's on you. So. That's great. Right. I, I, I wouldn't have attributed to practice as someone who um, hasn't practiced football myself. So no. I, you know, I've, I've been to them, uh, uh. but uh, <laughs> no, I think that's great insight. Uh, you, you practice exactly what you're supposed to do in a game. And, and if you're lacking that muscle memory, um, right. see how that would, that would translate to the field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you practice what you preach, you wrap up, you take them down. You know, and uh, when you're not doing that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you tend to forget on a Saturday. But that's that's an interesting trade off. Yeah. You want to kind of save the players. And uh, but in so doing, sometimes maybe you don't necessarily practice the right technique. So absolutely. Exactly. (laughs) Interesting. All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and talk about South Carolina at Kentucky. Uh, South Carolina winning this one, 24 to 14. None of, uh, none of us <coughs> picked uh, South Carolina. Um, just based on what we'd seen thus far the season, uh, I think it kind of makes sense. And um, so you guys are going to have to help me out because uh, we watched the game at the uh, NBC Sports Grill. And so there wasn't actually any audio. How do you pronounce Kentucky's backup quarterback's name? Because I did not. 
I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Sharon, Sharon. I'm not sure. Kaya. I think it's Sharon. Okay, Kaya Sharon. I was going to say because it was on it was on the big screen, but I couldn't hear him because we were in the restaurant anyway. Um, so uh, Kentucky starting freshman Kaya Sharon at quarterback instead of Will Levis, who uh, wore a boot with a uh, bad case of turf toe. And we saw him get kind of banged up. Uh, not just that, but uh, his finger as well. I'm sure he enjoyed just a, a little bit of a reprieve there, although I'm sure he did want to be on the field. Uh, on Kentucky's open opening play, Chris Rodriguez Jr. fumbled, uh, recovered by South Carolina. And on the very next play, Marshawn Lloyd scored on a two yard touchdown run that seemed to kind of set the tone for this game. It seemed uh, Spencer Rattler overcame two early turnovers and threw the go ahead touchdown pass in the third quarter. And uh, South Carolina scored 1700 unanswered points to put the game away. So uh, Jesse, I want to get your takeaways and then I'm really curious to hear what Claude has yeah. to say about this. One. I'm, I'm going to be quick with these. Oh. And I'm sure my we'll take will be <laughs> in, um, in yours, but uh, life without Levis, not great. That's my first one. Um, I don't think that needs any elaboration. And then it's like Kentucky's defense started off really strong and then they just took the foot off the gas. I don't know if they felt gas or what it was, but it wasn't great. Um, and then for me, and this is not something that's unique to Kentucky. We saw it as well, but depth chart questions for me, uh, for Kentucky, obviously you're starting a freshman quarterback. I get that there's going to be issues, but I think overall across the entire conference, across college football, there's just depth chart issues where you're pulling in somebody and you should be able to plug and play. Right. And we can't. And we saw that with Levis. You have a, a ranked team that's losing to South Carolina. Woof. Um, so for me, that's an issue there. Um, and then a trend that maybe it's not a trend. Maybe I'm just making up and I'm a conspiracy theorist, but there seems to be something with Stoops where the past couple seasons, and we're starting to see it now, starts off hot, winning, beats Bear Bryant's record. We're going for it midseason, and then it implodes. We saw it last season. We've seen it before. It's all of a sudden they, they start to get the hype, and then they just freeze. Um, again, I know Will Levis wasn't there. I get it, y'all. But you got you got to keep the hype. Come on, Kentucky, we're rooting for you. Okay, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Look, Wes, I don't need an introduction for this. I'm gonna go straight into it <laughs> and give you my take. Uh, from the 15 minute mark in the first quarter, um, I was very disappointed with the play of defense and offense. Zero excuses. I don't care if you have the fifth string quarterback. You have a solid defense who have shown that they can sustain any offense. Uh, you have you have a struggling offense. I mean, a struggling offensive line. Um, this is game number six. Uh, they haven't really found their, their true chemistry, but no excuses there. You have Chris Rodriguez in the backfield um, who is fresh. Fresh legs, game number two. Um, right. put everything on his shoulders. It was unfair for him. Um, I believe he rushed for 100 yards in the first half and only touched the ball eight times in the second half. That's unexcusable. Uh, I'm not making any excuses for the quarterback. Uh, you said no levers. I don't care. I don't care who, who's back there. If he's back there, Kentucky should have never played that way. Uh, the backup quarterback, like you said, are we getting the backup quarterbacks ready for SEC play? We don't know. But he played very well to win the game. Uh, he had some great passes. Uh, 
dropped off. Uh, some overthrown. Um, he kind of reminded me of Levis in the backfield. He held the ball a little, a little too long. Uh, and having a weak offensive, off, offensive line did not help the cause either. Um, and now Kentucky leads the nation in sacks. Uh, I believe we are 126 in the nation and giving up sacks. Uh, North Carolina came in with a total of four sacks the whole season, playing Division three teams, four total. They walked out of that stadium with five. That's embarrassing. That is a flat-out embarrassment for Kentucky. It's a flat-out embarrassment for the program. I understand the frustration that's coming out of the U.K. fans. Trust me, I'm here. I hear it. I see it. I breathe it. They are not happy with how Coach Stu prepared these boys after uh, losing to Ole Miss. Um, they said, uh, don't, don't let one loss become two. Unfortunately, that's exactly what happened. And North Carolina, North Carolina, South Carolina came with a chip on their shoulder. They played Kentucky very well in uh, uh, South Carolina last year. Um, and Beamer had a chip on his shoulder. I, I believe during the um, SEC uh, me media coach conference, whatever they like to call it these days, um, Coach Stoop did, did, did a little punching and said, you know, they, they have a coach back there that likes to wear backward hat, sunglasses, trying to change the culture. And look, they use that as motivation. But is that an excuse? No. Kentucky was a better team. That night should have been a better team. Um, there were some issues uh, within the fourth quarter. It was 17 to seven with seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. A quick, easy um, screen pass, I believe it was screen pass, or uh, um, where it ended up being 22 yards straight to the end zone. And like Jesse said, tackling, bad form of tackling. Everyone was two-hand tackling. The game was not over. They gave up. That's something that you have not seen in the stoop era in a while. Um, here in the state of Kentucky, um, they're taking it very hard, very hard. I can tell you that they are saying that this is the worst loss in the stupid era. Um, mm. I truly believe that because South Carolina was not the better team that night, but they did win. Um, the frustration with the fans is legit. Um, and also, I know the media can get to a coach, the winning coach, within two, three, four minutes. If you look at the background, the whole stadium was completely empty. Why? Because we were fed up. We had high hopes going in into the season, and now the balloon is starting to pop. Uh, like Jesse said, you get a start. Uh, they start fast. It's all based on schedule. You have um, all max schools and uh, down Florida. You're going to have a great start. But as I look at the month of October, it's hard for me to find a W. I, I, I don't know where this W is coming from. Uh, we have Rodgers coming in this weekend who is on fire. Mississippi State is on fire. And then they take a break uh, after seven straight weeks. And then you have on fire Tennessee and Knoxville. It's hard for me to see a W this month. But uh, unfortunately, the positive note on it is going into November, we start playing lesser competition uh, with Missouri, Vandy, Louisville, which is down, down the street, and uh, Georgia. Um, the expectations have been lowered, um, no excuse, um, but uh, Coach Stoop had to get these boys right and get that uh, defensive mentality back into the offense and defense. 
Yeah, and it will definitely be interesting to see how they bounce back from that. You know, like you said, the one loss kind of hard to stomach, but at least, you know, it was to Ole Miss, this up-and-coming team, and then you get just, like you said, punched in the face with this one here, and now you really got to do some soul-searching. It's like, what are we made of? Absolutely. We're going to find out. Rattler. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. I'm still not impressed. I had high <laughs> hopes. I thought maybe this would be his, his team. This would be his culture. I don't think it is. I don't know that I'm, I don't know where yeah. it is. There's still a lot to work through <laughs> in South Carolina. So, you know, getting, getting those pieces in place. We'll see. It's coming. Yeah. Yes. All right. Let's move to the final game of the evening. That was Texas A&M at Alabama. Uh, this one was, uh, it was a wild one. Uh, Bama winning this one 24 to 20. I got the point in this one. Um, it was interesting because uh, as we were watching, obviously the main was it thing. Interesting? Did you well, find it yeah. interesting? <laughs> Sorry. Object- <laughs> objectively, as somebody who's not as uh, invested as you are as a Bama fan. Um, yeah, it was interesting. But uh, Milro uh, struggled with that, uh, with, uh, you know, ball security. And uh, we saw. We saw that uh, come up big in this game a, a lot. Uh, Bama's defense surprisingly gave up a decent amount of passing yards to Haynes King, uh, who was referred to by Jimbo as the backup quarterback, even though he started <laughs> at the beginning of the season. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, those those things put together, uh, you, you had a few missed field goals from Will Reichard, which is uh, unusual. Um, I know Bama fans are a little bit, you know, got some some PTSD with uh, kicker issues, uh, but he has been pretty uh, rock solid uh, other than that, really. Uh, but put those things together is an exciting finish. And Jesse, I'm going to let you walk us through that. So what yeah, are your you takeaways and stuff? Run through it because it was awful. <laughs> it was horrible. This this revenge game. We have them in Bryant-Denny. It is supposed to be perfect, especially after the offseason comments yeah, and stuff yeah like, you no know, there's so much there and we're like we're there the crowd is there everyone is excited and then all of a sudden the milro that finished the last game who seemed confident who seemed like he understood what was going on he was secure in his position he didn't show up i don't know if the pressure of knowing he was starting all week um and i know i know no one announced it. Even Saban said it's a game time decision. We saw Bryce dress out. We saw him go there. But as soon as we looked at warmups and he never actually threw the ball, we knew he wasn't starting. And for the most part, we didn't think he was. Look at this Texas A&M team that we thought was questionable. It probably is um, because we did a lot to help them out. What did we do? I would love to tell you. Um Bill O'Brien is a terrible human being and he is a stale ham sandwich of an offensive coordinator. And I want him gone yesterday. Oh, I, I want to write a letter to every booster handwritten to Nick. Start a a petition. I want a petition. This man (laughs) is straight up trash. He's a trash human being. He's a trash offensive coordinator. Those calls, those play calls were absolutely terrible. You were calling for Bryce young and you had Milrow behind center. You cannot do that. Have you ever heard of a screen? Have you ever heard of anything besides lobbing the ball 30 yards down the field, or I don't know, just handing it off? Terrible play calling. I'm done with you, Bill O'Brien. I cannot handle you another week. And if you call a game like that against Tennessee, we will 1000% lose. And it is on you. 
and I have, <laughs> I have so many feelings. Okay. Um, he calls, I mean, we need like two yards and he's like, let's just throw the ball down the field, run the ball. Jameer Gibbs is right there. <laughs> Speaking of Jameer Gibbs, he was fantastic. Without him, we lose by a lot. He held together all of our offense. He saved the day. God bless you and your ability to run like a freight train through human beings. Um, Pete Golding, our defensive coordinator. I kind of hate you too. Props to Texas A&M's defensive coordinator. because He called a fantastic game. He got pressure. He blitzed. He stacked the box. He did everything that Pete Golding should have done. And I don't know, but I hope he was taking notes throughout that game because not great. Our defense didn't tackle either. Apparently we've never heard of it. And we don't know because if you count the missed tackles, unacceptable, especially for a Nick Saban team that is historically very defensive heavy. Um, for a team that last year we thought had a defense as good as 2009. Uh, this year, we're just hoping that we can like look at people and they'll fall because we don't tackle anymore. Um, Haynes King played his heart out. Props to him. It hurts me to say it, but that boy played his heart out and came to play. Uh, if I'm him and I'm his team, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I've, I'm proud of, of Haynes King and the way that he showed up against Alabama because he did work against us. And it's like you said, uncharacteristic, real record. It was nerve wracking. We were all hashtag triggered um, because of all <laughs> of the issues we've had and will i am so sorry you you normally are there for us and we're not a we're not mad we are truly not mad we're a little disappointed but we're not mad um and lastly milro if you do not practice gluing that ball to both of your hands i'm gonna have an issue okay um don't hold, don't hold it out here. I've never ran a football down a field. Don't hold it down here. Here, buddy. Here. What is you doing, honey? That's it. That's what I got. Because I'll keep yeah. going. I'll keep going if I don't stop. Claude, I, look, look, man. I have nothing to say. I, I, look, Jesse, you can keep going. I'm I'm being entertained over here. I love the passion. <laughs> I mean, the way the way you're talking right now, you would think Alabama is going to lose by a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I expect. I mean, I mean, should I put everything on Tennessee? Tell me. You, you won't let me know, but I have well, nothing I'm to say. Right. I, you are on fire tonight, and it's only Wednesday, so I hear you. <laughs> well, uh, um, but we won, so thank God I didn't have to listen to Jimbo Fisher talk about winning again. And that's not your backup quarterback, Jimbo. It's not. He started. So, um, Claude, as a uh, as an official, I, I am curious as to what your thoughts are. I know there was a lot of discussion about the ending of this game and how there should have been some time left on the clock uh, after that uh, pass interference in the end zone. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Is that founded, or did the refs get it right? Well, I mean, we have officials in the box who is looking at the play as well as the time. Um, if they feel like the time should not have been added, the time should not have been added. Uh, you can't argue with the guys upstairs. Um, I think uh, they had the right amount of time on the clock. Um, the uh, pass interference was, was an iffy. 
but you know, you can't you can't go go backwards. Uh, it gave uh, AM a second opportunity to uh, score. But uh, to be honest with you, that 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 play call was a disaster even to start out with. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I truly applaud uh, the work that the officials uh, did for that game. Um, that was the A-plus officiating crew out there. So um, I think they did well as well as the, the uh, replay box official. So I have nothing bad to say about that. Cool. Well, that's great. I appreciate you clearing that up because, you know, I was thinking – uh, you know, I had heard that, uh, you know, leading up and, uh, and then I was like, wow, well, we have an official right here. Let's, let's just ask him. <laughs> that's, yeah. uh, that's good stuff. Good to know. Um, all right. Well, that, uh, does it for last week's games, uh, currently in the pick'em standings. Uh, I've got 26, Matt has 21 and Jesse has 12. Whatever. Still a long way to go. And so, I got a perfect uh, score with zero and zero. That's so, it. You're, you are undefeated, my friend. We're good. We're good. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's uh, go ahead and get into a quick uh, speed round. Speed round. All right, well, um, so uh, there's been a lot of Heisman talk, and uh, is it too early to talk Heisman? Um, not according to the media, apparently. So currently the top contenders are Bryce Young, Hendon Hooker, CJ Stroud, uh, Caleb Williams. As of right now, um, is this list uh, correct, or are we missing uh, a dark horse? Um, just whoever jump in. I, I'll go. I'll go first. I have some yeah. strong, strong opinions about this. Um, okay. I think the list is correct. If you just want to look at numbers, it is correct. Congratulations to uh, Mr. Young. Congratulations to Hooker, and uh, congratulations to C- CJ. But at the end of the day, these quarterbacks are throwing a five-yard hitch or a screen pass, and the wide receivers are doing the rest of the job. They are actually making them look like superstars. Now, don't get me wrong. Hooker has great arm strength. His passes were great uh, against LSU. He, he, he threw some beautiful passes. But as we all know, Tennessee's offense is the quick five and out, the screen pass, and you give it to the wide receiver because they are the most athletic players on the field and they take it to the house. Are you going to give the credit to a quarterback? Of course you do. That's the easiest thing to do. Uh, but to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not I'm not thrilled about the list uh, because you look at uh, Williams at USC, who has he played? What, what defense has he gone up against? <laughs> Come on. Right. You know, um, Hooker, there's a chance of a collapse. Uh, he, he's yet to play Alabama defense. That's going to be a great test for his uh, resume. Um, but he also has Georgia on the list at Georgia. Great test for his resume. If he passed those two tests, yes, he is legit Heisman candidate. Um, Bryce Young, he missed the game. He's not up to par. He struggled versus Texas. Um, I don't know if the... Uh, 11 o'clock Central Time kickoff got to him. Um, I know as a player, I hate playing in Central Time Zone. It gives the home team an advantage. Uh, Alabama is used to 3.30 and 8 o'clock. Playing at 11 o'clock, I don't know if that got to him or for the fans. He did not look great. He survived it. He can't even have that excuse, to be honest, because we are no. Alabama is Central Time Zone, so... Yeah, but we don't even have that excuse. He was just bad playing those but, big teams. They're used to the to the prime time slot, though. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. 
And 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 you know, there was some home cooking on the officiating side. Look, I'm I'm, I'm not here to always support officiating, but let me tell you, that was uh, that was a pretty bad call. I'm sorry, Jesse. That should have been a safety. I'm sorry. That game should have been over. But uh, besides that, <laughs> besides that, um, the 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 four quarterbacks have earned it so far. But I haven't seen anything. And on the topic of Heisman, uh, I think that award is watered down. In my opinion, um, I have very strong thoughts about that. We basically just look at whoever's throwing up numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. It does not translate into the next level. Uh, it, it, it does not translate to the number one pick. Um, I feel like writers, sport writers, the news, they just want to see a quarterback throws for 4,000 yards. If, if you guys remember, they had um, um, Spencer Ratlett uh, as a Heisman candidate out of uh, Oklahoma. Why? Because it was a spread out offense, he was throwing the ball, he was flinging the ball everywhere. Look at his numbers at South South Carolina right now. I believe he's a five touchdowns, eight interceptions. That's a new ball game when you come over to the SEC football. You have an actual defense that you have to deal with. Uh, so it just shows that I don't think the writers, the sport writers, are actually giving a lot of thoughts to who really deserves the Heisman and only look at numbers. Uh, which is why I have to say it, it's starting to water down. There's no meaning behind the Heisman anymore. And I just want to see more of a broad, um, a broad ability to, to, to look at the wide receiver, to look at the running back for a team, to look at a defensive line, you know, or offensive line. Uh, not, it, took, it took almost 15 years for a defensive back to win the Heisman with uh, Woodson. Um, I just think it's being overlooked and people are just looking at numbers. So I'm not a fan of the Heisman. Congratulations to the candidates, but are you my number one pick in the draft? Absolutely not. That's fair. I love that. I, I have to agree. I think, you know, you look and you always see quarterbacks up there and, and that's the no brainer, right? Cause that's who you talk about the most. That's who is, for the most part, a thousand percent going to touch the ball. Right. Um, and is, is in the the driver's seat as far as, uh, where the play is going, but the Heisman at its core is supposed to be someone that truly changes the game. Right. Like, Absolutely. but that can mean a lot of different things. And I agree with you. I would love to see more defensive players. Uh, I would love to see Will Anderson get a Heisman. I think I want to see the guy that's, that's stripping the ball making tackles, sacking the quarterback, um, getting pressure on the quarterback or right. a guy who is, you know, anybody in the secondary who's preventing uh, the other team from scoring. I think it's, it's a missed opportunity in the Heisman where we don't give those players enough of a chance because they don't have over a thousand, you know, passing yards or whatever it is for me. I think Jameer Gibbs is missing off this list. I know that's offense. I think he's missing off this list because I can tell you without him, Alabama is not the team that we've seen this season and they don't have an undefeated record at this point. Right. He was, he's a running back. He was our, our biggest, he had the most receiving yards, receiving yards. Jameer Gibbs should at least get a nod on this list. I agree with you at USC. I don't, I don't even acknowledge you. I'm sorry. You're probably talented. You're great. I don't acknowledge you. Same thing with Oklahoma. 
whatever. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Young, <laughs> Bryce won it last year. Absolutely incredible to me. I don't think he deserves it this year. And his numbers are still wonderful despite missing one and a half games, but, and we obviously saw that he is a huge, uh, you know, change game changer in, in, uh, in the game for us, just not having him this past weekend, but I, uh, I, I want to see some defense, get some love for the Heisman and, um, it doesn't matter because it's a pointless award and it doesn't do anything, but. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I agree. I don't, um, I do wish that we could kind of, uh, make it more about a, a game changing, uh, player versus just stats. And I know some people kind of, uh, lump those together and you can ar- argue that, uh, the, the stats and, and all these, uh, uh, overwhelming numbers, uh, do change the game to a certain extent. And I understand that, but <coughs> given, given the way things I think are, are laid out right now, I think, um, I think, that obviously it's too early to tell. So in the, I guess in the context of this question, I, I might say, yeah, it is too early to talk Heisman because we, we have a lot of season left to play and a lot has yet to be shown by these guys. Um, specifically, I think if, uh, as you mentioned, Claude talking about um, uh, Hendon hooker, um, I think if he can pull off a win against Bama and, and, or Georgia, um, I think that he, I don't, I won't say that that cinches his spot at Heisman, but um, uh, he's going to um, all but do it. I think, I don't know, just there's some uh, expectations up at Tennessee right now. And I can just get the sense that that fan base is just ready to explode. And I'm not saying that that'll be the reason uh, that he would get the Heisman, but if he can have good performances in those games, um, I think that, you know, they, they love to give it to uh, a player who's making a lot of noise on a team that's making a lot of noise. Uh, and so I think that that uh, would all but cinch it, I think, for him. Yep. So, all right, um, let's do the second question, which is uh, Carolina Panthers fire Matt Rule. Is there any SEC jobs worth plugging him into? <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't know that he'll accept any college no. jobs. I don't know that he'll go down to college. Um, I would say that Auburn probably has put in a call uh, they've, they've probably texted just to you up just to see if he responds, uh, <laughs> you might've done the same, but I doubt, I doubt Matt rule even thinks about going to the college level. He's, he's going to try to get another NFL job for sure. Yeah, I think, I think he, he's out of his lead being in the NFL. Um, uh, the NFL is a cutthroat business. Um, all they care is about W. If they're not getting W's, you'll be gone mid-season. Uh, I think he jumped ship from Baylor way too quickly because the next season, Baylor was a great team, and then they continued to build on that success. Um, and all honesty, that's an ex- excellent point. I can see Auburn picking up the phone. Um, I can see it going to voicemail uh, because that man is sitting on a $42 million buyout. So... If yep. I was him for the next four years, I'd be on a boat relaxing on the Cayman <laughs> Islands. I love that. Come back. Yeah. Come come back around 20, 24, 20, 27 and see what's, what's the best op- op- opportunity. But, yes, I see maybe Auburn calling. Um, every other school in the SEC is, is stable with their coach, uh, first-year coach, second-year coach. But, yeah, he has the ability just, just to relax and pick and choose if he really wanted to. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I was trying to think of places that uh, either are, well, no, nobody needs a coach right now, but there are several that uh, are looking like they may need one soon. Um, it would be, it'd be kind of interesting to see what uh, somebody like him could do uh, up at uh, Mizzou. Um, I don't know. In my mind, I just see uh, Drinkowitz not lasting there. Um, I would, it'd be cool to see him go to Mizzou and it'd be cool to see uh, Deion Sanders go to Auburn. Oh, <laughs> uh, how, fun, oh how fun would that be? <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, he and he and Saban have a little tiff going on right now, too. Ew. So them playing each other oh, every year. How awesome would that has, be? He has a new tiff with, I believe it's Alabama State. If you watch that postgame presser or if you watch them. Oh, yeah. Field, yes. Um, very interesting. And he would like Dion to stay at Jackson so that they can play them for homecoming next year. And he can annihilate him. <laughs> and I would personally just really love to have that tea steep for another season. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Bring Dion to the SEC. I love it. I would, I would love it. Yeah. Wild so, media days. A lot of what ifs. Yeah. To, to be discussed there. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's also uh, get into uh, some opinions in the opinion segment. Sir, if I may venture an opinion. I'm not really interested in your opinion. Three, three, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right. So um, this past week, we saw several instances where starting quarterbacks were out and the teams seemed to struggle as a result. We talked about multiple of those. We often see the depth chart being an issue, but when it comes to quarterback depth, it seems to affect teams even more. Are teams not preparing their backups enough or are we seeing an instance of the transfer portal affecting quarterback depth by not having them sit and develop like they used to? I don't know. What are your opinions? on this. Yeah, we talked about it just briefly um, prior, but I think it's a combination of both, right? I think, you know, you, you see the transfer portal and no guy that thinks he deserves to start is just going to sit there because now he has the opportunity to go wherever he wants, find the coach that's going to start him and, and make a difference and have his own team. Whereas before we had these guys sitting behind players, they become veterans on the bench, which sounds silly, but they get steeped in that offense. They start to understand they have the guidance of a starting quarterback who can pour into them. And then they get to take the reins. They're used to the systems and they can succeed. And yeah, I think the transfer portal is hindering that not just at the quarterback position, but across all the positions you just see it more with the quarterback at the same time, I think bringing up practice is another issue. You are, developing a system around a specific player in the instance of Alabama, it's Bryce young, or you're developing around Bryce young, who throws these bombs down the field. You bring in someone like Jalen Milrow, who is reminiscent to me of the style of play of Jalen hurts who can run. He's a very mobile quarterback. He can throw a little bit, but it's not the same as Bryce. And the system doesn't work as well. You also see issues when it comes to the, um, the feeling and the vibes of the team they're used to someone else. And uh, I think they start to pick up on the nervousness of, of a backup quarterback. And typically like we're seeing now it's really young guys. Cause there's no veterans to sit there. You don't have people that are willing to sit for a season or two. Uh, so I definitely think the transfer portal is, is causing some mayhem. What do you think, yeah. I, I do agree with you, Jesse. Um, to a, to, a, to a certain extent, I, I, I would probably put the transfer portal to a 10% issue. Uh, here's why I say that, because the backup quarterback is already on the team. Um, 
either he transferred in or he's a young stud or out of high school or he's committed to his team and he's been there several years. There is no excuse for a program not to have your backup quarterback, whoever he is, to be ready for any given moment. As we know in the SEC, it takes one hit to knock the quarterback out. Yeah. Uh, talk to Texas A&M. They'll tell you all about that. Um, it, it, it's all within the program. It's all within developing the backup. Um, I feel like, and I've heard this many times, the backup quarterback does not have the same mindset of the starting quarterback. He's not getting the same first string reps. He's a scout team uh, individual who is uh, contending to be that week's quarterback. He, he's not preparing for an actual situation. And when that time comes, when he needs to be out there on Saturday, uh, as fans, we're like, oh, my God, who is this guy? He's not ready. Uh, for him, like you said, Jesse, he's, he's shivering in his pants. He's nervous. He's never been out there in a bright light. There's no, there's no other place in the universe a, a player want to play in under the lights on an SEC field. And that's nerve-wracking. Uh, trust me, I've, I've seen it. Uh, I, I've been there. I lived it. Um, and I officiated in it. Great environment. But I give the transfer portal very small margin of issues to the backup quarterback. It, it truly lies on the coaching staff. And at the same time, I'll give the backup quarterback some blame. It's up to you to prepare yourself mentally and physically because you need to be ready at, it, at any given moment. Um, I believe uh, Texas A&M has a bye week this week, and then they go into South Carolina. There's a possibility that they're going to have their third-string quarterback. Question is on the table. Is the third-string third quarterback ready to play? Who knows? It's up to the coaching staff to get him ready. I'm pretty sure he didn't get too many staff snaps during the spring ball. Uh, he got zero snaps so far. Uh, it might be a tough situation for Texas A&M, but you know what? If he comes out there and throws four or five picks, uh, if he's scrambling for, for his life, you're not going to put that on the kid. Uh, Jimbo needs to put that on, on his show because he never got him ready to go for prime time. So uh, hopefully it's the case that they have uh, some uh, extra week to prepare for South Carolina, but uh, it's going to be a tough task to get him out there. But this is solely on the program, not the kid. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't know about other programs, but at Georgia, we still got uh, a bunch of five-stars uh, quarterbacks sitting on the bench while we have a walk-on starting. <laughs> I just, so, in, in some sense, I almost feel like as, as a coach, you have to uh, be a, an absolute wizard at managing egos and uh, getting people to stick around instead of going into that uh, transfer portal. Um, I know we'll, we'll see uh, Carson Beck and uh, Brock Vandegrift and possibly even Gunnar Stockton fighting it out next season right now uh, you know it looks to be uh, Bennett uh, no question until uh, you know so, you know you know something something would were to happen uh, but uh, you know it, it's it is interesting uh, because on one on one uh, sense as I've heard you both say you really just need to have that backup uh, developed as you said Claude it's up to the backup to uh, kind of prepare himself as well uh, it is on the coach, uh, but as a backup, you got to be ready to step into that spot too. We talk about pressure that they're under 
but that pressure is a privilege and something that most, if not all of these guys want. It's not, you know, I think a lot of times we think of, oh man, I, I bet that guy is super scared uh, being thrown into this situation. But in his mind, he's thinking, this is my shot. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully if you're in that situation and most of them uh, will have that mentality, I think, just because obviously they've been recruited at this level and they just sort of have that mentality. So um, I don't know. I, I think the transfer portal could play a part in it, uh, but I think you still got to uh, prepare the people who are there. Um, and obviously uh, the people who are there are, are talented uh, enough to be there. So um, I know there are some times where uh, perhaps the, the talent drop off is going to be there. I understand. But uh, as we saw multiple times this past weekend, um, it seems like there wasn't necessarily a good um game plan to go with that backup (laughs) to your point jesse about milrow uh Mm -hmm. why are we calling these plays it's like we're calling plays Mm -hmm. for bryce young he's not there what's going on so um anyway yeah no that's that's a good uh question uh jesse i'm gonna let you pose uh question number two for the segment uh, we we talked about it at the at the top when we introduced you, but Claude, you're obviously a high school official, retired college official, and as you know, in recent years, college officiating crews have come under a lot of scrutiny for bad calls, missed calls. Uh, right. I mean, it happens in the NFL as well, but most recently, you know, the Wildcat fans were really furious over what they were calling an embarrassing officiating <clears throat> against South Carolina. So. I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the state of officiating in college football? And do you think the fans need to cut the crews some slack or, uh, or are we on top of our calls from our couch as we think we are? Yeah. Let me uh, first start out by saying uh, fans, coaches, y'all need to calm down. Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Uh, Look, officiating is probably the, the toughest job out there. Um, we have keys. We are looking for cer- certain things on the field. And like humans, we make mistakes like everyone else. Um, there are some egregious calls that should have not been called. I get it. That's clear cut. Um, but when it comes to holding, and let me bring you into the officiating, officiating world really quick about holding, okay? 98% of the time, players are holding. They hold every single down. And that's what fans out there who I, who are sitting on the couch uh, watching the game, who's at the bar, holding occurs every single down. Are we going to call holding every single down? No. What we put an emphasis in, and this is an inside scoop, did it have something to do with the play? If it's away from the play, we're not going to call that. What's going to happen is a player is going to complain. Of course you are. What is our explanation? You were not part of the play. Why should I be calling a hold on your side? Second, if a hold occurs and the player releases just in time, we let that fly. That's the inside scoop. Okay. Uh, the only way we call a holding, if it is continuous, if he continues throughout the play holding. We could go from a three and a half hour game to five and a half hour game. Tell <laughs> us what you want. That's true. Okay. But overall, uh, I think the state of officiating, we are, the guys are getting older. Uh, we have guys who have been uh, officiating college football, NFL, and so forth for 15, 20 years. The problem is, is that we're getting older and the game is getting faster. 
So that causes an issue of being able to re react as quick as possible. Um, how we move, obviously, is getting a little slower. They're getting a little faster. How we react towards hand movement, uh, hip movement, uh, holding, grabbing, it might be a little bit slower. That's been an issue in the last several years is the rotation of officials. There's a lot of officials out there who feel like they can go 15, 20, 25 years. This is not baseball. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why I hung it up for college football because there was no room for the young developing officials to make a move up to that next level. Um, there are a lot of um, young officials who are ready for that primetime game, but we can't get up there because Uncle John over here is, is still officiating and it's causing a little ruckus. Now, do I give a total excuse to the officials? No, because you have the replay booth upstairs. We have the ability to look at a play. You have the ability to overturn your calls. There's a lot of ego within the officiating world. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> Shockingly, we do. It's almost like you can't tell me anything. I'm going to call this. My chest is high. If you want to yell at me, you can write a letter to the commissioner. I'll take a look at it on a Sunday. Who cares? But at the end of the day, I feel like there is a minor issue um, with the overall product on the field. But at the same time, fans just need to give a, a little slap. And I understand every team wants home cooking, um, but that's not always the case. Uh, we try to be fair. Uh, we try to be right down the line. Uh, but we're not going to catch everything. Uh, being in uh, officiating for 14 years in the high school level, uh, four years in the college level, I've seen it all. And I've seen between us, I've seen favorites. <laughs> Some, uh, if we miss a call, we tend to favor the next call. Uh, I know fans see that as well. Like, okay, see, so you didn't give it here, but you're going to give it there. In your mind, you should know already, it's just a favorite call. So overall, the state of officiating is okay. Uh, we have the technology in place. We just don't have the... Uh, ability to rotate official. Uh, and um, several years ago, I was told that the SEC is trying to have, trying to implement a certain amount of years officiated, uh, officials can be out there. Um, one of the top officials, uh, uh, Matt Austin, who is the um, SEC replay official that they call in to ask him expert advice, he's here in Louisville. He, he, he's actually uh, the one that got me into high school football and, uh, and, and the SEC. He, he points out that his body was wearing down. You know, he, he, he loved the game, but the game was going too fast. It was time. For, he, he's still, you know, I would say probably in the 50s, still young, still can move. He's a white hat. He doesn't have to move too much. But uh, he just said it just warmed down. The game was moving fast. It was time to get a different role. And, and that's probably the main issue is that guys are just hanging on way too long uh, and the game is passing them by. Yeah, it's, I, I'm sure it's got to be tough. I mean, we, we see it and we're seeing it in prime time at the NFL level right now is, you know, there's these calls, especially roughing the passer has been a huge one this yeah. that people are looking at. 
And, and I get it. I see it. I was watching those live and I, I blew my mind, but at the same time, we're the same fans. We're the same people that were outraged over what happened to Tua Tungavailoa. And so these officials are doing their best, I imagine, to err on the side of caution, because at the end of the day, especially at the professional level, you're trying to make sure that everyone is safe. And at the end of the day, as much as it affects our emotional stability, mm-hmm. this is a game. Um, and and these, are, these are people, and these are people that have brains that they don't want to turn into Swiss cheese. So absolutely have to err on the side of caution. If, if it's a terrible call, I hate that. And it sucks, but at the same time, I'd rather that be called. than we see something that happened to, you know, to a tongue by Loa, Teddy Bridgewater, all these guys are multiple examples. Um, because it's to them, it's their livelihood and it's their life. And, and it is a game to us, but it's much more to them. Absolutely. And, and as, as officials, you want to protect the players as much as possible. And to your point of the roughing the passer, I'll be honest with you. I don't know what a roughing the passer is. I I don't know the definition of what they're looking at. Um, I know during the coaches meeting in uh, NFL, the owners can vote uh, upon what is a roughing the passer. Obviously you are investing millions of dollars into a quarterback so they don't want their quarterback to be hurt. But there was two calls this past weekend where I had no idea what they are looking at. And a little bit ego came in. You know, um, you have the replay. You have the guys upstairs. You can talk to them. But welcome to passer is an emphasis that they are trying to look into. And, yes, you don't want their brain to become a, an experiment. Uh, I, I truly understand the increase of CTE. Um, you know, people are getting uh, brain damage at a young age and football is a violent sport. I get it. But you know what, what, what else is a violent sport? Hockey. Okay. I don't see hockey saying no more checking into the wall. They're still checking. Uh, uh, MMA. I don't see them saying, hey, only take body shots. Don't hit them in the face. You know, there's a lot of sports out there that can cause brain damage. Um, but at the same time, the NFL is trying their best to eliminate some things. But at the same time, when you try to eliminate things, you're taken away from the integrity of the game. Football is a violent sport. I get it. But this past weekend illustrated a level of inconsistency that fans, uh, as well as reporters, can't understand. Explain to us what is rough in the past. Is it your age? Uh, is it your height? Is it how long you've been in the game? I don't know. Tom Brady, 42 years old, pretty looking guy. I don't want to mess up his face. Let me call Pastor Ben. I don't know. But yet, and then you have Carr who got sacked. The replay showed the ball was loose already. He landed on top of his body. What would you like me to do? Would you like me to scoop my body to the side? It is in the motion. There's nothing I can do about that. Um, but Hopefully the NFL can go back to the drawing board. Uh, it's, it's definitely been a disaster so far with the concussion protocols as well as the weapon of passing. Those are two emphasis they really need to look at so we can, as fans, have an understanding of what you are calling and, it, and is it correct? Claude, I heard the uh, former defensive back coming out and you right there with, with the penalties. Say, what, do you, what do you want me to do, right? I agree. There, what, there what could that, he couldn't have done anything. I, I am so frustrated. 
I'm, yeah. I'm so funny. What do you want? There was a clip on um, ESPN where Kevin Hart uh, visited the NFL Network where they picked him up and they laid him down and they put a pillow and they put a blanket <laughs> over that. him That's and so everything. <laughs> That's pretty much what you want football to be now. I mean, I, let the game be. Look, I don't want anybody to get hurt. That that's not what what we want to happen. But you know what? This is a violent sport. We sign up for it. You're making X amount of million dollars to play this game that you love. And as fans, we are boosting millions of dollars betting from the game. The economy moves based on us, the fans. Uh, we basically put that money in your pocket. Unfortunately, it's it's a violent sport. I get it. And you have to give us a better understanding of how you want us to play defense. Right now, you want us to do two-hand cuts. If you want two-hand cuts, let this be the NFL All-Star game every single weekend because that's what it is right now. Yeah. You bring you bring up an interesting point, and that's um, regardless of where you fall in the spectrum of what, what it should or shouldn't be, uh, they just need to make things clear. Okay, what is what is this? And then, okay, if that's the expectation, then we can meet that. But let's at least define it, right? Absolutely. If 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 you want me to do a two hand touch on Tom Brady, I'm I'm fine with that. But if yeah. he throws a bomb and, and and scores on that two hand touch, that's on you. Well, and what makes it difficult is the, the like you said, the inconsistency, and people just yeah. need they need expectations. So yeah, I think we're, we're going to see rule changes constantly in the next couple seasons, just with how much we're hearing about player injuries and, and the emphasis on player safety and on these bad calls. And I think, unfortunately, it's going to be something where we try something and see if it works. And if it doesn't, we just go back to the drawing board and it's going to be an evolution. I think, um, at the end of the day, and this is completely irrelevant to sec football. So I'm sorry, but this is bonus content for you. Um, Troy Aikman, sir, if you ever commentate and make a comment that equates a poor play or a soft play to women again, I'm going to have an issue. ESPN and the NFL, make your commentators, first of all, not misogynistic, have them talk correctly and intelligently. And also Troy Aikman, I hope you never spoke to your daughters that way or instilled this inferiority complex into them because that was wrong. And you, sir, should be ashamed because I'm mad, mad. I couldn't tell. I was like, Jesse, I, I wish that you would stop holding back and just tell us your real feelings sometimes. So. I can't because you need a bleep button. <laughs> yeah. um, yes. Alabama and Troy Aikman. I, I, I got those two things noted. That went, and normally yeah. I don't have any issues with Troy, but that one just set me off when he like, took the dresses off. I'm sorry, sir. Right. <laughs> sir? I'm sure, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he's heard it. Uh, you know, uh, I, I would have to well, think. And we're going to get some BS apology. And he's like, I didn't mean that. I respect women. I'm a girl it dad. It does not reflect I, my real opinion or anything. Well, <laughs> it does not reflect I, who I am. It's just joshing. Okay. <laughs> the PR person told you to say sorry. Goodbye, sir. Nice. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and get into the upcoming games and uh, give a little bit of a preview into each one. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, let's get ready to rumble! All right, the uh, first game of the upcoming games is Auburn uh, versus Ole Miss. Uh, that is noon on ESPN. And uh, let's see, Jesse, you want to read the preview topics for this and, uh, sure. and kind of give our thoughts? 
Yeah, you guys can just bite on them. Um, sure. The good thing is, is we talked about the fact that Ole Miss comes out real hard in the second half and Auburn never shows up. So that should be fun. Uh, first one here is Auburn has played two top 10 teams this season and gotten creamed by both. Second one, Ole Miss and Dart are cruising on offense, uh, but have not been consistent. They've talked, you know, themselves, both Dart and Kiffin talking about consistency issues. So do their slow starts start to affect them in this game? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, they're definitely going to have to be careful. I, I think. Auburn, as I mentioned uh, about uh, Georgia uh, in, in regards to when they played Georgia, doesn't really have an identity on offense at this point, um, regardless of really who's back there at quarterback. Even, you know, earlier games this season wasn't necessarily impressed. Um, I think their defense can keep them in games, though. Um, I, I think I really think their defense just got gassed last game. Like I said, we were winning the battle in the, in, in the trenches at the line of scrimmage, and it just slowly tilted things in Georgia's favor. I think Auburn's defense is, is somewhat decent. Uh, they just, they need some help, right? <laughs> they got to have some help from the offensive side of the ball. Um, yeah. I, uh, J- Jesse, you want to make your pick first and then we'll kind of go down the, down the list there. Cause I think I've kind of just given my thoughts and then we can get yeah. thoughts. Yeah. Um, like I said, I think Auburn doesn't show up in the second half and that seems to be uh, Ole Miss's bread and butter. So I'm picking Ole Miss 42 to 14. All right. Matt has uh, Ole Miss 42 to 20. And uh, with those things said, I've got Ole Miss winning this one 35 to 21. Claude, what do you, what do you think? Well, we uh, talked about uh, Ole Miss need, needs to be cautious, cautious about a potential sneaker. Uh, I don't think it's coming this week. Uh, Auburn is very weak at quarterback and very weak in every aspect of the game. Um, they have uh, Ole Miss at a 14 and a half. Uh, I think it's going to be a very close to covering, but I, at the end, I have Ole Miss 31-13. All right. Um, all right, next is uh, Alabama at Tennessee, uh, 3.30 on CBS. Um, Jesse, give us a preview for Alabama versus preview Tennessee. preview is I'm already sweating. Um, that's, <laughs> relax, relax, relax. I can't. Um, <laughs> however, one, a couple, couple things. Uh, a preview, just to set the state of affairs. Tennessee has never beaten a Nick Saban coach Crimson Tide. And in fact, a couple things, and I love to bring this up every year as it continues to get further along, a few things that didn't exist the last time Tennessee beat uh, Alabama. Um, The iPhone, no Tennessee fan has ever sent an iMessage about beating Alabama. No Tennessee fan has ever posted on Instagram about beating Alabama. Uh, No Tennessee fan has called an Uber to leave Neyland Stadium after beating Alabama. And uh, they've never gone home to watch Netflix after beating Alabama. They probably have gotten Blockbuster, but that's about it. And I would be glad to submit to um, Pigskins and Pageantry a picture of what I looked like the last time that Tennessee beat Alabama. So it's been a long time. However, uh, I said I said it today. I would legitimately rather lose to Auburn or lose the national championship than lose to Tennessee. But Tennessee owns the number one total offense in college football in tandem with its second ranked scoring attack. And it comes in with a number six national ranking in the AP top 25 poll. So they've got a lot to be excited about. They're coming in hot for us. 
we are unsure at this point who's going to start at quarterback for Alabama. And I think that is going to be crucial. The role of quarterback in this game, um, you know, both for Hendon Hooker, as well as who's going to be behind center for Alabama is going to be huge. So, you know, my question to you guys is, what do you think the role of, of quarterback is going to be in this game, especially how important is Bryce Young's ability to play in this game going to be? Claude, I'll let you take this one first. Well, I think it's going to be huge. Um, even if it's Bryce back there, he's ahead. He's been out for a game and a half. Uh, it is going to be tough coming out there and not feel in front of that rowdy crowd. You're giving these uh crowd several hours to drink and enjoy the tailgate <laughs> they are going to be down their throat look 15 straight losses that's a long time uh i don't know what i was doing 15 years ago but uh that's a long time to be losing to one team i'll be honest with you tennessee has everything they need to pull out a w uh, this game is going to be the best game of the day uh, right now, they got Alabama negative seven. Uh, I think it's too high. I think it's too high uh, for not knowing who your starting quarterback is, uh, having a lot of inconsistency, uh, especially on the road uh, when Alabama went to Texas and even at home uh, last weekend. So right now, I got Tennessee. This is not an upset. Tennessee is ranked six. This, uh, this is not considered an upset, but I have Tennessee beating Alabama 31-27. And the issue that come down to Alabama is obviously, as we all know, the kicking game. Oh, God. Oh, gosh. You just heard oh. this. Just say triggered. I'm triggered. <laughs> I'm triggered. Um, um, yeah. Breathe, 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 breathe. Okay. It's okay. <laughs> Jesse, who are you picking? Um, Y'all, I'm struggling. Um, but I know it's so hard to be objective too. I know no, it's, and, and I'm trying, I'm trying, but um, I continually fail at that and I own that. <laughs> so I'm going to be my biased Bama self and I'm actually going to manifest uh, a positive outcome here. So I'm picking the tide in a close one. This one is also going to give me heart palpitations and to make it even worse, I have decided to go to the state of Tennessee uh, for this particular weekend because I'm an idiot. And I'll be in Nashville. I have found an Alabama bar to watch it in. So I will be with my brethren, but um, I will do my best not to get into any uh, altercations. So I'm picking the tide 3128 um, and appreciate all your thoughts and prayers. That is quite the nail biter. Um, Matt says he is struggling with this pick. And obviously, you know, Matt's a big Tennessee fan and uh, would like nothing more than to see his Vols get a win, but he's going with Bama in a close one, 42 to 38. Um, I'm just going to say it because this is the best chance that I think Tennessee has to beat Bama and or Georgia. I mean, for that matter, being a Georgia fan, I hate to say that, but it's, you know, legit. Uh, and, and they have a, their, their best chance to do that in a very long time. Um, I think this one, as we've already said, it depends greatly on if Bryce starts, um, I think that he does. Um, I know they're being careful with him in practice, um, but it just seems like, I don't know, from him uh, being on the field, uh, dressed out, um, even in the game that he got uh, hurt in, uh, and then uh, celebrating with his team on the sidelines, I think they were more or less just being careful with him last week, not wanting to make something bigger out of that issue. 
Um, I, I do think he'll probably play in this game. Uh, and because of that, I'm going to go with Bama winning this one 38 to 21. Now, and having God s- help me, Bill O'Brien, I swear <laughs> to the Almighty. Well, you come in on your BS. He yes. is going to lose the game for you. I'm telling you right now. I, I can see that. That's, just, that's the thing that makes me irate. I know that. And it's so fixable. Lane Kiffin, baby, come back. Please. <laughs> I, I don't want it to be like where if, um, if Milro trots out there that I say that they're going to lose. Uh, but I do believe you put the, the hostile environment out there with, with him there. Which it's you know watch out for mustard bottles and golf balls. I'm yeah, just saying. <laughs> and um, just be careful. Just all I'm saying. Uh, but b- between that, um, the 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 jitters that he's he's possibly got thinking about starting another game in in this uh, in this environment, and, and then play calling on top of that too. Uh, I think we have to <laughs> realize who we're calling plays for. Um, I'm 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 not saying 100 percent that if he starts that I think they'll lose, but I think there's a great possibility just because of all that. So yeah, he's uh, going stack the box, blitz, blitz. blitz. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. All right, so uh, definitely excited to see that one, Jesse. I don't know if excited <clears throat> is the word that you would choose, but you know, ready to watch. So, yes. um, all right, um, let's move on to uh, Vanderbilt at Georgia, also 3:30 uh, on SEC Network. Um, Jesse, give us a preview of that one. Y'all, this is a short preview. Bulldogs have an overwhelming 98.6% chance to defeat Vanderbilt this weekend. That literally tells you everything you need to know about this game. So what's your pick? UGA 38 to six. (laughs) All right. Um, Matt has Georgia winning this one uh, 38 to 10. Um, I'm also going Georgia and I've got uh, UGA 48 to 10. Claude, what you got? I also have Georgia. They favored by 38. I'm going to put them right at... Right at covering it at 42 to three. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, next is uh, Arkansas at BYU, 330 on ESPN. And we got a lot of 330 games, just a lot yeah. going on. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Jesse, what are your what are your previews? What are your topics to watch for this one? Y'all, this game preseason was hype. We had, you know, Arkansas coming in hot. Everyone was looking at BYU, thought they were going to be hot. Now Arkansas comes in at three and three and uh, riding a three game losing streak to all ranked SEC West foes while BYU is two and two in its last four outings and just lost to an unranked Notre Dame in the Las Vegas game. So it's, it's lost some hype as far as the performance of the teams. However, Uh, This should be a pretty evenly matched game. I think BYU and Arkansas both suffer from penalties and their defense allows a lot of yards and a lot of points. So we're going to see what I imagine is a relatively high scoring game uh, for two teams that are are pretty well matched. And I'm interested to see uh, how it goes. My pick for this one, I'm actually, and I hate to say it, but I'm I'm picking against the conference. I'm picking Mm. BYU uh, 27 to 24. It's it's just going to be not great. For, for Arkansas, I don't, I don't know that they pull themselves out of this losing streak right now. Well, uh, Jesse, it looks like you're not the only one. Uh, Matt has Arkansas continuing to slide. He's got BYU uh, 28 to 20. Um, so, yeah, we talked a little bit about BYU. They had that big win against Baylor early this year. Uh, they're coming off a loss to Notre Dame at the neutral site location in Vegas. Um, I think 
Arkansas ends its three game skid um, and gets back to physical football, uh, which is what we've seen characteristic from them. Uh, plus I'm thinking uh, KJ Jefferson will be back. I don't know that I haven't seen anything lately uh, to make me think either way, but I, I think he'll, he'll be back just kind of judging by how they approached it last week. Um, I'm going to go with Arkansas on a close one, uh, 34 uh, to 31. Uh, one thing to note, though, and here's a fun uh, geographical tip or uh, fact for everybody, is uh, they got to be mindful that, however, uh, they'll be in BYU's stadium, uh, Lavelle Edwards Stadium, which is 4,649 feet above sea level. Yep. So higher elevation than what Arkansas is used to. So I don't know if you want to do some of those breathing drills and practice it's this week. Cold. or <laughs> Yeah. It's going to be cold. And that too. We'll uh, what you got, Claude? Yeah, definitely. Uh, those are excellent points, Wes. Uh, and Vegas have Arkansas as a one and a half point favorite. Uh, you know, Vegas put this stuff out because they know what they're talking about. But that's a that's a bet you got to stay away from. That I, <laughs> I would not go in there putting their Arkansas one and a half. Uh, yes, playing at B- BYU. There's a lot of elements. The fans, um, the the elevation. I don't think Arkansas is prepared. Even if they were prepared for the game, they're not prepared for the uh, the uh, the elevation, uh, being over three thousand feet over sea level. That can take a toll on your lungs and how much you can play. Um, I got BYU coming down to a field goal with twenty three to twenty. Defense is going to struggle, but uh, it's going to come down to special teams. All right, I'm the long the long one who believed in the in the conference in this one, so. Either way, as I say, either way, it's looking like it's going to be a close one, though. So, um, all right, let's move to LSU at Florida, seven o'clock on ESPN. Uh, Jesse, what are some preview topics we got for LSU at Florida? Yeah, you're looking at two programs that have brand spanking new coaches. So it truly is a battle between two coaches that don't have the players they recruited are trying to make something of their programs, uh, two programs that have had some wins that were really encouraging and have had some performances that are abysmal. Uh, This to me is a pretty even matchup as well of two teams that have stumbled throughout the season. Uh, Again, had some great wins, but as uh, Claude, you know, pointed out some, some fraud wins perhaps. So both teams have tough home fields that they play in normally, or, you know, opposing teams have to play in normally. So for me, I think a big question for you two is how much does playing in the swamp affect the outcome of this game because when player when players have to go and play in death valley especially a seven o'clock time slot it is tough and death valley can really change the momentum uh, of the game giving them a home field advantage the swamp also historically a very tough place to play so does the swamp actually affect the outcome of this game 100 percent 100 percent and but i think it's both ways though i think it's a double-edged sword because uh, I, I think that the home environment will help Florida in the sense that, you know, they'll make it a tough playing environment for LSU. But it's funny. We've seen uh, Richardson play better on the road. <laughs> so it's kind of, right. I think it, 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 it affects things both ways. I think it's going to be a tough environment for LSU, but I think, I think Richardson is going to, um, I don't know if it's just like playing in front of the home crowd, there's more pressure or what, but it's like we've, yeah, we've seen that uh, time and time again with him this year. Um, so uh, I don't know, just keeping in order. I, I think you kind of know where I'm going with this, but keeping in order, Jesse, what's your pick for the game? 
For me, I got to pick the Tigers on this one. I'm going LSU in a really close one because like I said, I think this is a, a relatively even matchup of, of I'm going to steal Claude's words, the fraud theme. So I'm picking LSU 27 to 24. All right. Matt's got LSU as well and a close one also, uh, LSU 24 to 20. Um, yeah, so we here we are, like we said, the battle between Napier and Kelly, um, the home field advantage key. Uh, but I think Florida has a slight edge um, anyway. Uh, I'm going with Florida winning this one 28 uh, to 24. Uh, Claude, what are your thoughts on that um, about the home field advantage in the swamp? Yeah, um, definitely off the bat. This is the uh, frog battle. Um, <laughs> but playing in the swamp this year means nothing. Uh, you, you, you can tell that Richardson is a different player when he plays at home. Maybe it's nervousness. Nervousness. I don't know. But the the swamp is just not as intimidated as it used to be. Uh, if you take a look at all their wins or losses at home, it was all close games. Um, the crowd really didn't affect the visiting team. Um, they played up to Florida's potential, uh, or uh, Florida played down to their, their, their potential. Florida has not blown anybody out. They played very cautious every single game. Um, this game is going to be ugly going to be very ugly it's going to be unwatchable it's a good thing it's on SEC network because i'm not switching over there uh <laughs> vegas have them uh florida as a two and a half point favorite the only reason they have a two and a half favorite because they are playing at home if they were playing at lsu lsu would be favored so yes uh this game might end up being a zero zero tie i don't know it's going to be terrible but if i had to choose i got lsu 13 to 10 oh low score all right yes. Well, real quick before we move on, we've, we've answered this question in a, in a speed round earlier, uh, but I want to pose the same question to you. Long term, which first year SEC head coach do you think will do better, Brian Kelly or uh, Billy Napier? I think Brian Kelly, uh, due to the fact that he has, he has, he has less holes to fill. I think his biggest issue is quarterback. Uh, he doesn't have an option B. He has to deal with what he has. Uh, Brian Kelly has the ability to bring in a top-notch quarterback. Uh, they have a great running game. They have a great offensive line. They have a mediocre wide receiver group. Uh, defense can hold their own grounds. But like you said, the quarterback runs the show. And if you don't have a strong quarterback, you know, you can't win too many games. Uh, I think uh, Kelly has more of an upside um in this situation but as you pointed out he may not want to be there that long but he's the type of guy when he gets tired of a team he just switches over so hopefully he sticks around to build a program that's up. yeah fair all right um let's uh go ahead and move to mississippi state mississippi state at kentucky 730 on sec network um jesse what are some good preview topics for us to to keep in mind here I think I'll go through these quickly because I'm sure Claude has some that that he's noticing. But uh, will Will Levin be out for a second straight game? And uh, if so, odds don't look so good. Uh, will Rogers, though, will be under center for the Bulldogs, and he is coming off of a record-breaking performance like we talked about. And he is you know, the all-time leader now in completions in the SEC. So, Claude, my big question to you is, what do the Wildcats have to do on defense to contain him and the air raid offense. 
Well, they have to go back to the basics. Uh, they have to understand to go back to what got them their four wins. Uh, that fast start at the beginning of the season, fundamental, tackling, uh, being in the right place, being physical. Um, uh, Coach White has built a, a, a strong defense in the last several years. Um, can you say they had a, a, a hiccup last week? They may have. But in the Wildcat country this week, it's been very quiet. Everything has been uh, kept under wrap. Um, the media doesn't know what is happening behind closed doors. Uh, I don't know if Coach Stoops uh, or the defense is getting their mind ready, focusing all on Rogers this week. Uh, but uh, they have to go back to the, the, the basic fundamentals of how they got their four wins uh, in the beginning of the season and just getting back to having fun. Just fly around. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Uh, look, Rodgers is going to get his numbers. There's, there's no doubt about that. He's going to fling that ball. He's going to get his 300, maybe 400. But the key is don't break. Uh, keep him out, out of the end zone. Uh, Kentucky has given up, I believe, three three touchdowns, three, three to four touchdowns in the second half. Uh, is Kentucky a second-half team? It's pointing that way. But with a, a team like Mississippi State, you can't wait to the second half. So mm – -hmm. Let's see. Let's see what they got. I want to know. All right. What's your what's your score? I want to start with you. Who you got? Well, I'm I'm look, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I'm torn. I'm torn, but I'm I'm just going with a realistic non-biased situation. Um Levis injury um is a li lingering injury. Uh even though he said he's fine, it can linger. Um just some back notes of what I have from um, inside information. There is a slight tendonitis in his foot. Mm. Uh, basically, what that means is every time he steps, there's a pain that rushes on the bottom of his foot. Uh, being in a game, you have the, the, the rush that's going through your body. You don't actually feel that. But once you stop playing, there's a pain in the bottom of your foot that's irresistible and it, it, it just penetrates the whole foot. And I think him being in the boot for a whole week lowered that pain. But the question is, uh, being on the football field again, would that pain occur once again? Uh, not having 100% levers may have an effect, but I just need him to back up a little bit, throw the ball to to, to wide receiver, hand it off to Rodriguez. I think uh, he should be fine. Uh, being... Um, Having Mississippi State come in town would get him ready, would get his blood moving, and I think he's going to bypass any pain that he might be feeling in his foot. The only concern I have is when he's not playing or in halftime. The potential of that foot stiffen up and pain occurring once again. But uh, I know that UK has a great medical staff. Uh, they have been taking care of that foot all week. Um, it should be a great game. Uh, the line started at three of Mississippi. Uh, it went up to six. Apparently, all the money went to Mississippi State, and as of today, it went down to four. So Vegas knows something. So right now, I'm going with Mississippi State 37-24. Unfortunately, but I just don't think Kentucky has that firepower. Um, Mississippi State handled them last year. Unfortunately, they're going to do it again. Okay. Well, cool. if I'm going to jump in and toss in my pick because it's yeah. 
quite similar to Claude's. Um, I too, am going to go with Mississippi state. I just don't think that the wildcats are going to be able to contain Will Levis and the air raid offense. Uh, so for me, I'm picking the bulldogs 38, 24. All right. Uh, Matt has uh, something similar as well. He's got Mississippi state winning this one 35 to 30. Um, so I don't know. So it, it seems that like you guys were saying, Will Levis will be back a little, you know, time will tell how healthy he is. Um, I think that helps Kentucky, but I also wonder like how long Mississippi state can keep up this momentum. Right. You know, it's like one of those weird things where in a, in a team that's on a rise, like they are, it's almost like they're almost due for one of those weird games. And uh, I don't know. I, I just factor those in and also factor in that Kentucky's at home. Right. And so I'm going to go with Kentucky in this one. I'm going Kentucky 28 to 21. So there you go. Um, so that's, that, that's an excellent point because uh, Mike Leach always seems to always lose games he's not supposed to lose and fair. win games he's not supposed to win. So that's honestly, this is, this, this is the toss up. Yep. All right. So uh, what game are you guys most excited to watch out of those? Uh, excitement is a weird word. I am most <laughs> ready to get over with <laughs> the yes. Alabama-Tennessee game. I think that's the one most people are going to be watching. However, I would say, despite um, the fact that it's an out-of-conference game, I want to watch uh, Arkansas-BYU. I want to see if Arkansas and Sam Pittman can really uh, you know, pull themselves up by their bootstraps and, and get it done out of conference. I'm interested to see. I think it's evenly matched. Uh, despite the fact that it's out of conference, I, I want to see what happens. It's good. Well, I'm, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to the, uh, the fraud bowl. No, I'm just <laughs> I would not be tuning into that, but no, I'm uh, definitely, um, excited to see Alabama, Tennessee. Um, something about Tennessee just, just, just makes you want to smile a little bit. I'm sorry. Listen, but, uh, just, sure. be, I, I just seen the environment in Knoxville. They are ready. They are due. That game should be very exciting. Um, and then 1B, obviously, uh, watching uh, Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, 7.30, I will be locked in. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, those two games should be the uh, 1A and 1B for Saturday in the SEC world. Wes, obviously, you're thrilled to, to have uh, the Commodores come to Athens. It's going to be riveting hey don't don't joke about that okay <laughs> I, no, I, know. Lost I, I, I know i was i was there in uh, was it 2015 it was kirby's first year when we lost to them at homecoming and so that was that was rough and uh it took my son to that game too so i was trying you know like keep on the happy face and behave myself at the same time in, inside i was just you know like oh gosh come on it was a long um, time ago we they're good now. They're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm definitely going with Tennessee, Alabama. Um, it's funny because I was talking to my wife, who's also an Alabama fan, um, and it was, uh, it's like I don't I don't think I'm ready for Tennessee to win. <laughs> as weird what? as that sounds, because uh, well, with Alabama, it's like uh, it's the devil that you know, right? It's like okay. I can deal with that. I've had to deal with Bama fans and, you know, Bama doing good and all that stuff. I'm not ready for this new team to jump on the scene. Now I have somebody else to deal with too. Right. <laughs> so like, I don't know. That's just sort of, sort of how I'm feeling about it. But uh, you know, like you said, they're ready. Um, Knoxville will explode if it happens. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
but then I, I like the, the Arkansas BYU. I'm, I'm pulling hard for the conference, really hoping Arkansas can not only represent, but bounce back from their losing streak that they've got going on. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that one as well. Um, all right. Well, that does it for uh, the upcoming games. Let's do a quick just for fun segment. We're talking about lots of rivalries going on this week. But outside of college football, what is your favorite sports rivalry? Does anybody just does anyone just jump off the page to you as far as rivalries go? Well, um, obviously, just off off the bat, the Cubs and the Cardinals. Uh, I can't stand the Cardinals. I'm a big Cubs fan. Uh, there's something about red. I'm not. I'm not a red person. I, I hate birds, <laughs> so I don't like Louisville Cardinals and I don't like St. Louis Cardinals. So I must have an issue that's, with birds or color it. red. I don't know what it is. So uh, besides football, the Cubs and the Cardinals all the way. <laughs> don't like red. Don't like birds. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, that's a great rivalry. As someone who was kind of new to that in Chicago and seeing the animosity, it is thrilling to watch as uh, someone who was not a fan of either. So I do love, I do love that. This one's tough. Um, so many sports, so many rivalries. Uh, I, gosh, it's silly to say, but I, I truly love the unadulterated hate of Boston Yankees. I love it. Um, it it's intense. It's sometimes violent. And I thrive on watching that as a troll. Yeah. Yeah. It's because, and there's so many classic ones from that matchup as well um, from, you know, fights and um, gosh, who was the, oh man, my mind, my mind is blanking now. Pe- uh, Pedro Martinez threw him on the ground. The old guy, what was his name? Uh, is it Zimmerman? Last name Zimmerman? <sighs> yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I believe it's yeah, yeah. Where uh, he even had like a like a bloody uh, scalp after that. It was so weird. It, like this this big old man charging at him, and he's like, "This is a lose lose situation. If I get beat up, I just got beat up by an old man. If I throw him down, I just beat up an old man. <laughs> what is? Yeah. What am I supposed to do? But you're right. Yes, to, uh, so many moments for that rivalry. Um, one thing that I think about when I think about rivalries and, and this one has lost its, uh, luster recently, uh, but, um, the being a Steelers fan, uh, Steelers Ravens, mm. you guys remember for many years, there was just kind of, a we, we had, uh, Ed Reed and Ray Lewis for, uh, Ravens defense. You had, uh, Troy Palomalu, uh, Brett Kiesel, um, so many others on the Steelers defense. So that was just a hard hitting game. And uh, everybody had a chip on their shoulder. Everybody, yeah, Heinz Ward, uh, you know, making blocks and yeah. smiling afterwards and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. I think it seems like that we, uh, uh, the Steelers, ended up on on the good side of that a, a lot, or at yeah. least a decent amount. So, yeah. enjoyed that part of it as well. Uh, speaking on on the coach, uh, Wes, it's Don Zimmer. Zimmer. I knew it was Zimmer yeah. something. Yeah. 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 It was Zimmer, yeah. Zimmer, Zimmer, Zimmer. Don Zimmer. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, um, that does it for just for fun. And uh, man, so many good things discussed in this episode. Lots to look forward to in the upcoming games. Um, let's get you guys on out of here. If you'd like to contact us, uh, please do so uh, by email at pigskinsandpageantry at gmail.com. 
We are at Pigskins and Peasantry on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, on Twitter, we are at PBSEC Podcasts. Don't forget, we're available for download on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, most podcasting apps for iPhone, Android, and other operating systems. Don't forget, we are on uh, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, um, uh, a bunch of those uh, those apps there. So we would greatly appreciate it if you guys would take a moment uh, and uh, subscribe and review five stars. We would love that. It would increase our visibility. And uh, yeah, um, until next time, got some exciting games to, to watch. This is Wes. Go dogs. Y'all, you know it. We say it every year. They low down. They dirty. They bitches. Oh, Roll Tide beat the balls. And Colin, before we get out of here, is there any place, uh, anything that you want to plug, any place people can need to follow you, anything like that? Well, uh, I don't know my Instagram name by heart. I, I have this crazy <laughs> name. Uh, if you want to email me, it's uh, crossthegirl at gmail.com. Uh, I check it frequently. If you'd like me uh, to come back, uh, feel free. Uh, let me know how bad I was. Let me know how good I was. Uh, let me know how biased I was. I don't care. Just contact me. Let me know what you like, what you dislike. But I enjoyed my time here. First time on here. It was a blast. And I'm definitely looking forward to uh, doing it all over again with you guys.